so much, so much of the things today, the themes that the Lord is, is Spirit is bringing into the words and the prayers and the song choices are just dovetailing with what the Lord put on my mind. Um, probably about four days ago, four or five days ago, just thinking this through, um, I heard someone talking about Luke 4.18. And I heard the Lord say, Sunday is 4.18, teach on Luke 4.18. So that's what we're gonna look at. It's perfect. It's just the it's perfect um, dovetail with all of this here. It's um, two things, it's maybe three. These words of Jesus, and we'll look at it together. These words of Jesus that come from Isaiah 61. Fundamentally, it's, it's a promise that the kingdom will bring liberty to you and to your family and to your children and to your situation. The Lord wants to bring freedom in every kind of capacity into your life. That's why he came. He didn't come just to get you a ticket to heaven. He came to set you free to fully live the way that you were made to live. And he's going he's gonna to declare that prophetically. He's going to fulfill a prophetic word here in Luke chapter 4 that's going to summarize his entire ministry. So it's a promise, first of all, for you and for your kids and for your, your neighbors and your relatives and for your coworkers. You know, my heart was just so touched, you know, that, that Betsy's word and these prayers for the fatherless. And we could include in there the widow, the single mom. Those of you that are single moms here at King's Church, God has such a special grace and a love for you. I think Luke 4, though, and we're going to look at this a little bit, it's also a warning to us that we be careful that the humility of the kingdom does not become offensive to us. And the kingdom is ripe with humility. If you have a problem with humility, the kingdom will be a difficult way for you. But Jesus wants to show you the way. So in addition to being a, a promise and a warning, it's also an invitation, though. And I'll, I'll show you what that means. But let's just look briefly at the text here. I just want to read, read to us here and, and talk a little bit about it. This is from Luke chapter 4. This account, by the way, this, this encounter in Nazareth is found in all three synoptic gospels. We call them synoptic gospels because they're all very similar. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This account is found in all, all of those. It's found in Matthew 13 and in Mark chapter 6 and here in Luke chapter 4. So anytime we see the same story repeated, we kind of pay attention to this. Luke 4, verse 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And I, even when I read those first words, this, I felt like there's, such a, there's a sermon in that alone. That, that Jesus wants to take you back to the places of familiarity in new power. Remember, he has been baptized just a, a few chapters before. He was baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan. He comes up and it says that the Spirit just fell upon him. 
and there's this sort of a, a, a declaration of his identity as a beloved son of God. And after that, the word says that the spirit drove him uh, into the wilderness to be tested, to be refined for 40 days. Yes, sometimes God is driving you into difficult situations for your own refinement. You can't be released until you've been refined. Even Jesus had that season of being refined and tested, purified. And so he, it says, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. That's good. I like it when people think well of me, right? He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. So this is his hometown. Think of your hometown. Think of where you grew up. Think of the people, the community that you were a part of. Your cousins, your mom and your dad, your brothers and your sisters, your school teachers, your next door neighbors. This is Jesus' hometown. They've seen him from such a young age. They know him. They know the goofy stuff that he did as a kid. They know the shenanigans that he and his cousins and his friends were up to. They saw him become a young man and, 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 and become a bar mitzvah, become a son of the law. They, say they saw him mentored by his father, Joseph, in the carpenter shop. They saw him grow in wisdom and in stature. They saw him at the market every day. They knew his family well. And every week he would go to synagogue. Every week he would go to synagogue and he would sit with the elders. He would sit with his father. He would sit with all of these, 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 these people of God. He would listen to the law. He would listen to the prophets. He would listen to the teachings. He was a good Jewish boy. And on one particular Sunday, he goes, as was his custom. And it was the custom also for, for Jewish men of, 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 of the community to take turns reading from the scrolls. They, synagogues wouldn't have necessarily a, a, a vocational rabbi, a vocational pastor like we do here. You know, the, it would sort of the, the responsibility of, of declaring and reading the words of the Torah, the law, and the prophets would fall upon different uh, men of the community. And Jesus was... was he was one of those as well. He would take his turn and he would read from the scroll that was handed to him. And on this particular day, he's handed the scroll of Isaiah. And he begins to read it. He stands up to read and he finds a place where it's written. This is chapter 61. And Isaiah 61 is a, is a prophetic word written in the 7th century, 8th century BC, roughly seven, 700 or so BC by the prophet Isaiah, speaking about the time when Messiah would come. Isaiah 61 is one of the clearest messianic prophecies that we have in the Old Testament. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah the prophet writes this. He writes these words declaring this is who the Messiah is going to be. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord. And Jesus reads this from the scroll. He unrolls it and he reads it. 
the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And there's, there's so much more. He, Jesus almost kind of like pulled a little bit from that. It's actually a longer, uh, you know, a, a, a longer part in I-61. 60, Jesus kind of pulled a few little parts of that out and read those aloud. It says, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. They're looking at him. They're looking at this young man. They're looking at this one that they've known who stands up, and there's something about what he just read that has us transfixed. We know Isaiah 61. We've read it many times. We know what it means. We know about the promise of the Father that one day someone's going to come and someone's going to deliver us and free us and declare this is the year of Jubilee. This is the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus stands up and he reads that. And there's something about how he's reading it that has the people of the synagogue just mesmerized. And it says he began... He began, so he's going to teach. He's going to unpack some of this because it says he began by saying, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, but obviously meaning there's more that he says. So he stands up and he says, guys, I got to tell you something. Isaiah 61, written 700 years ago, today that word is being fulfilled. It was spoken 700 years ago. It's being released right now. It's being fulfilled right now in your presence. Begins to unpack that. I believe he begins to teach what that means. And verse 22 says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. And they hear him speaking and they begin to see him in a different light. There's like, this is, we, we know you. You're Joseph's, you're, you're Mary's boy. We've wiped your nose before, right? We've chased you and the other kids out of our garden before. You know, it's like, but there's something about how he is speaking now where there, there's a difference, there's a marked difference in who he is. And they're amazed. The Bible says they're amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. I think the more that we encounter Jesus, really, the more amazed that we are. The more amazed we are that there is this sort of combination of both, both regal power and authority, but also such humility. I didn't even know what humility was until I met Jesus, you guys. I didn't even know what a servant was until I met Jesus. I didn't know anybody could be any, you know, could go any, any more selfless than he is. I've never met anyone as selfless as Jesus. It's just amazing to encounter him again and again. I've been walking with the Lord since I was 14. I'm 45 this summer. I don't even know the math. That's a long time, you know? And it's like the more, the more that I encounter Jesus, the more amazing he is, the more beautiful he is. I thought I knew him, but every time I read these words, something else comes alive. And they're amazed. They're amazed at, they, at the things that they've, they've you know, and, and his reputation has gone around, you know. News about him spread throughout the whole countryside is what it says. So they're, they're amazed, not just at the words that he just now spoke. They're amazed at the, the, at the things that people are saying. That this one from Nazareth is doing miracles. Did you guys hear the story of that wedding in Cana? 
did you hear that story about John and James and Peter and the boat and all the fit? Did you hear that? And they're amazed at his, at, his, at his miracles. They're amazed at his words. They're amazed at the authority that he has. You know, it goes back to when he was 12 and he's in the temple and he's teaching, he's teaching the rabbis, not just in the synagogue, he's teaching the rabbis in the very temple, the very center of the Jewish faith in Jerusalem. And he's, he's, he's basically schooling these men of the faith. The Bible says that they, that they were astonished at age 12. They were astonished at Jesus' answers. It is astonishing the kind of wisdom and authority that this man has. And we're amazed by Jesus the more that we read it. But I want you to look at what happens. Verse 23, so Jesus, he knows hearts. He knows hearts. And I know that there are times when he has forbearance and he doesn't call us out, but there are times when he does call us out and he calls them out on this particular Sabbath day in the synagogue. He knows their hearts. He knows that in, in that amazement is a lot of uncertainty and disbelief mixed in because they can't get over the hurdle that they see in front of them. You know, it's like, if, if, it's like if one of our kids here or one of our youths kind of stood up and just began to, you know, prophesy and preach and, and just uh, you know, have these prophetic words that none of us had ever seen or encountered, we would have a hurdle to get over. And they had, a hurdle, they, they had these obstacles in the way. And Jesus says to them, he's like, surely he's like, you guys are going to quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you're going to tell me, Jesus is speaking. He's like, guys, I know what you're going to say. You're going to tell me to do here in Nazareth all the miracles that you heard I did in Capernaum. Jesus says, I know your hearts. He's like, he's like I got to tell you something. No prophet is accepted with honor in his own hometown. Everywhere I go, Jesus says, there's faith in me. There's belief in me. Everywhere I go, they, they, they believe the word of God. They see the signs and they believe them, except here. Here they don't. Here you don't. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the spirit of it. He looks at his fathers, uncles, cousins, next door neighbors. And he begins to unpack a little bit of this. And in verse 28, look at this. Somehow, somehow there's a shift from amazement to unbelief. And there's, it's just this heartbreaking story how amazement can turn into unbelief, how we're, we're just in love with Jesus one day. We're just in love with the King. We love God. You don't want to serve him. We're you know, going to church, got Caleb going on, all this other kind of stuff. And just something shifts and unbelief turns to, or and amazement turns to unbelief because there's some stumbling blocks in the way. One of those is familiarity. It's hard to be taken seriously. In your own hometown, way too familiar. 
I think another stumbling block for them is disappointment. Maybe another one is jealousy. You know what it says? Do you do hear what you did in Capernaum? We want, we want to make the news. Why can't you, you know, why can't you base things here? Why can't you do all the miracles here like you're doing everywhere else? Why are we getting left behind? And they're angry about this, I think, I believe. You know, because he's taking the glory elsewhere. He's taking the glory to Cana. He's taking the glory to, to, to Capernaum. He's taking the glory to other places, but except for Nazareth. You don't hear much about Nazareth. So their amazement at his words quickly turn into unbelief. And the result is that they are offended. The people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. And two, there are two results of this. The first one, we don't, we don't read it in Luke, but we read it in Matthew and Mark. The Bible says that he could do no miracles in his hometown. Actually, Matthew says, except for a few healings. I was like, well, that's kind of cool. You know, do some healings. That's kind of a sign and a miracle. But think about what he wanted to do. What could he have done? But that offense just blocked them from seeing this fullness of God's presence, this fullness of God's kingdom just being manifest in their midst because they're being tripped up by the humility of the kingdom. God can't work this way. This is how God's plan should look, not like this. If there's going to be a Messiah, sure isn't going to be Yeshua bar Joseph. He's not tall enough. He's not smart enough. He's not big enough. He's not educated enough. And it becomes offensive to them that one would stand up and dare to say, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. So the first thing is that no, no miracles are done. Jesus is hampered. He's hindered by their unbelief. He's, hen, he's hindered from doing great works among his own people, among his own family, among his own cousins and his next door neighbor. Think of that. Bible, he doesn't say that he didn't do it. He doesn't say that, that Jesus was pouting and mad and refused to do it. What does it say? He couldn't. He couldn't do signs and wonders. I just imagine the heartbreak of this. Because of their, and the second thing, the second result of this is why, this is, even, this is even more serious. Watch what happens. Not only is there unbelief, verse 29, all the people of the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Verse 20, they got up, drove him out of town. Think about this. They drove him out of town and took him to the, to the brow of a hill in which the town was built. Why? In order to throw him off the cliff. This is demonic. This kind of unbelief and offense is so demonic. They are about to take one of their own and put him to death. That's crazy. Because there's something so powerful about this prophetic word that is being fulfilled in their midst. I just don't see it. He walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I, it's, I feel that there's, there's a warning there's a warning to this. And it's, I think it's not, it's not coincidental that our very first service, remember this, Chuck? 
those of you that were here on October 4th, 2018, we're in Lord's Legacy. I was supposed to, I'm supposed, I, I was supposed to preach, right? This is, this, is, this is my church. This is my baby. I got to have the perfect sermon for a launch Sunday. Guess who gets sick that day? Guess who the Lord just humiliates? Easily get out of the way. Knocks me down. My beloved bride, Megan, Spirit of God is on her. She knows what to do. She gets up and she brings a word. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. And that, that was a word that stuck with us. It's still, it's still with us. It's still with us. But there's something so powerful about that. About that just, that, that, that humility of where we were. Honestly, the humility of where we still are. We still are in some small beginnings. You know, we've grown and God has just done amazing things. But there's something about this, this low place that the Lord wants to bring us to. And amazement can easily become a fence when God chooses to do things his own way. I don't, don't let the humility of the kingdom be a stumbling block for you. Don't let the humility of the kingdom be a stumbling block in your life. God will do things often not in the way that you think he should do them. That's okay. But I think that the reason that the Lord brought me to Luke 4, 18 on April 18th because I believe he's raising up a, a, a Luke 4.18 kind of church. I believe that. I'm moving past the Nazareth stuff. I'm moving past the offense. Now I'm just going gonna, gonna to land right here on Luke 4.18. I believe God wants to raise up a Luke 4.18 kind of church. I believe he wants me to, to declare that here on April 18th, 2021. He wants me to tell you that the spirit of the Lord is on you, King's Church. You know how I know that? The same way I know two weeks ago on Easter Sunday. The word says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. So Isaiah 61 just isn't a messianic prophecy that Jesus fulfilled 2,000 years ago. It began, it began, it began this, this, this movement, of this continuation movement that began in that upper room that continues even now today. The same spirit that came upon Jesus. The same spirit, Luke 4.18, that came upon the church in the upper room has been transferred generation by generation and has been coming upon you and I. The same one is here. Because why? Why does he want that? Why is the spirit of God upon you? To give you warm tinglings all over? Is that it? I love warm tinglings. I do, I do. I, lo I, I, I talked about this. I love just that, that abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. It's so good. I didn't begin feeling it, honestly, until probably about five, six years ago. This phenomena, this phenomena of the Holy Spirit moving upon me. Like a warm wave of love over. I love that. But that's not, that's, that's really just the beginning. Why is the Spirit of God upon you? Because he wants to advance the kingdom through you. 
anointing you. He is anointing you. You are anointed ones. You are anointed ones. To proclaim good news to the poor. (laughs) Freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Do you know how good news this is? I forget, I forget how good of news is. I, as I said, I've been a believer since I was 14. Those of you that have been cradled to grave Christians all your life, we can forget what it's like to be lost. How many of you have been a believer like less than, say, like eight years? Anyone? Less than eight? A few of you? Okay. You... I'm betting if I were to put a mic in you, you could tell us what, you can remember what it was like to feel so lost and so hopeless, so enslaved, so confused. Am I wrong? And sometimes those of us that have been with the Lord for a long time, we we can forget what that's like. We can forget that it's really good news. But if you're blind, the promise of sight is amazing news. It's life-changing. If you're, if you're enslaved or in addiction and you are just in bondage to something and you can't break it, you're in bondage to pornography, you're in bondage to drugs, you're in bondage to alcohol, you're in bondage to, to some other, any, any other kind of, any kind of addiction, you, you just know that like, it's, it's just hard to realize any other kind of reality but this. But if someone were to come and promise you, I can set you free of that, That's not just, that's incredible news. You don't want to wait for that. You want to run for that. If you're poor, if you're poor in spirit, if you're poor financially, if you're just flat out, you know, just a broken person altogether, you know, and somebody comes and says, I've got good news for you. You can be rich in the kingdom of God. That's incredible news. Jesus has given us this calling to proclaim incredible news to the world, you guys. Imagine if you had the cure for cancer. You had the formula for it and you knew that it had a 100% effective rate. What would you do? Would you hesitantly go up to, to, to the doctors? Of, would, you, would you like say, you know, I really don't want to offend you with this. You know, I don't want, this, this may not be. No. You'd be calling a press conference. You'd be calling everybody you know, saying, guys, I got incredible news. I can fix what's wrong with you. And Jesus stands up and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's given me a task to announce good news, the solution for all the mess in the world. And he's passed that on to you and I. Luke 4, 18. The year of the Lord's favor. Mm. I want that. I want that. I want to be a, a Luke 4.18 kind of church. I want to be a Luke 4.18 kind of believer and disciple, follower of Jesus. Anybody else want that? Come on, let's stand together. Yeah, come on. We're, 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 we're. We're going to move on. Oh, church. Luke 4, 18, it's an invitation. It's, it's a promise for you. If you are broken, if you are poor, if you are in bondage, if you are sick, 
there's good news for you. The kingdom of God is here for you. You can reach out and take it. You can. It's a free gift, freely offered. No strings attached. Just open yourself and say, God, I want the gift of your kingdom through the blood of your son, Jesus. I turn away, Lord. I repent of all the stuff that I've done, the mess that I've made in my own life, trying to fix things that I can't fix. I'm going to say yes to you and your perfect gift, the perfect gift of your kingdom, the perfect gift of your son, Jesus, the perfect gift of your Holy Spirit. It's good news. Ask the Lord. Father, I just pray for your church right now. I pray for that the Spirit of the Lord would be upon us. Let the Spirit of the Lord be upon us, Lord. Let the Spirit of the Lord be upon us. Worship team, come on up. Let the Spirit of the Lord be on us, Lord. Holy Spirit, be upon us, Lord. We have no power, Lord, unless you give us power. We have no words unless you give us words. We have no compassion unless you give us compassion. God, we want to be a 418 generation. We want to be a 418 kind of church. Father, we just receive, Lord. We receive this, this mandate. We receive this anointing, Lord, right now. We say yes to you right now. Yes to you right now. We say yes to, to following in the way of Jesus. The humble carpenter's son. The lowest of the low. Servant to the, to the least We say yes, Jesus, to your Lordship. Pray for a fresh anointing, Lord, upon your church. God, give fresh power, fresh love. Jesus. Amen.